From Vosvitek comes a weekly digital series that shares its insights, concepts, and findings from years of learning and mentorship. Welcome to Vosvitek Podcast. Hello, fellow artists. I'm excited for you to join me today on this very special episode where I interview Mark McGinnis. Now, for those of you who've been following the series, you know that it's my aim to help you master mental fortitude because it takes more than just talent and skills to really make it uh, in the long term of, of being an artist and creative. And Mark McGinnis is a poet, number one, but he's also a creative coach. And his podcast is actually called The 21st Century Creative. I stumbled onto this podcast and onto Mark as well, and was hooked by his voice, his insights, his episodes, and so forth. And I, I just dug down the rabbit hole and learned a lot, as much as I could about Mark and all the things he believes in. And they're very symbiotic with the things I believe. And so I'm, I very much appreciate that I got to know him. And it kind of is a full circle moment for me because now, months down the line, I reached out to him and, and he agreed to be part of this podcast. And so it's kind of like meeting your heroes where I get to interview him about so much. We, we talk about um, a lot of things. We jump, we jump all over the board because there's in a condensed amount of time, there's so much I want to ask him. And so, so we, we get into both the practical, but also philosophical in, in, you know, what I would say, let's say 40 minutes, we tackle the full width of a lot of different subjects. And I appreciate Mark's time and the level of insight that he has. And so I'm going to get to the interview in a moment, but I will link to all of his stuff in the description box so you can check out more of his work like I did. I highly recommend the podcast. Uh, He does it in terms of seasons, so he's just completed season three. So lots to check out and binge there. It's called The 21st Century Creative. And then he also has um, a book called 21 Insights for 21st Century Creatives. His titling is just fantastic, and I really love it. Uh, He borrows from Charles Dickens in terms of the philosophy. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Because in in essence, there's so much to take advantage of as a creative, but there's also so many common pitfalls. And so he helps kind of navigate that. And in today's episode, that's what we try to tackle even in more depth. So without further ado, here is my interview with Mark McGinnis. So welcome, Mark, to the show. Uh, thanks for being a part of it. Thank you, I, Phil. Nice to be here. Uh, I've I've been a fan of your podcast. Um, that's kind of how I got introduced to you and uh, and all your various works. And I want to kind of go in a myriad of directions, but I figured I'd start with a quote mm-hmm. from Ch- Charles Darwin of all people. And I want to kind of get yeah. your um, idea on this quote. So the quote is, if I had my life to live over again, I would have made a rule to read some poetry and listen to some music at least once every week. Now, this is coming oh. from Charles Darwin. One of, you know, we, we think of him as a scientist. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, so I find it interesting that he said that. And you as a poet, I, I, I'm interested to know your thoughts on that quote from a scientist. Well, that's great. I hadn't heard that. I mean, I'm an admirer of Darwin, but I hadn't. He's just gone up a notch <laughs> in my estimation. Um, did he expand on why he thought that would be a good thing to do? Uh, he maybe did, but I. this is just the quote that I heard okay. once, and okay. I haven't uh, found one. Well, obviously, I'm, I'm down with Charles on this one. I think life, was it Nietzsche said life without music would be a mistake? And I think music and poetry, we could add to that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think it's great. And, you know, 
the nice thing about well one of the many nice things about poetry is that you it's not like a novel if you're going to say well i'm going to read war and peace you kind of need to block off a bit of time for that but i think everyone has time for a poem in their day and it can be a really nice way to just take yourself into a very different space mm-hmm. without the kind of time investment that even a movie would take or let alone reading a novel so uh Yes, well done, Mr. Darwin. Nice quote. <laughs> well, why are we so attracted to art and, you know, storytelling? Like there, there's the old theory that there's only two types of stories. A stranger comes to town or a man goes huh. on a journey. And so if that's the case, you were so attracted to TV shows, movies and, and books and poetry. So how are we able to what, what's the fascination for consumers? Do you know, I think if I really knew the answer to that, it would spoil a bit of the magic for me. I mean, there are various theories that people have come up with. But for me, I mean, I I just, I mean, I'll talk about poetry, which is the art I know best. For me, it's, it's enough that it's there. Mm-hmm. And when I'm writing it, I th- it has to be a mystery to a degree. I mean, if I knew everything that was going to be in the poem, as my teacher Mimi Calvati once said to me, it wouldn't be a poem. Mm-hmm. Because you, you discover something new when you're writing it. And I think that's also true as a reader, that poetry is one of these arts that at least as much as any, if if not more, it's how you read it. Mm -hmm. You know, you you could take, as Don Patterson said in one of his books, he said you could just have a a single piece of paper printed with the word moon in the middle of it. And if you say this is a poem, then people are going to look at that and start reading into it and interpreting it and you could get quite a lot out of that i think it's a bit like duchamp with his his urinal you know it was art because he said it was art Mm -hmm. and what that says to me is it's it's as much about the attention that the reader or the listener or the viewer brings as it is about the you know, never trust anybody who tells you what a poem means or a piece of art means, because if it's a real piece of art or a real poem, there'll be lots of meanings that that keep coming out of it. So for me, that I, I wouldn't want to tie it down to any one explanation, because as soon as you do that, then then a lot of the, the magic and the fun has gone for me. Fair enough. Well, so you mentioned two words, uh, discovery and meaningful. When you you know, in terms of your journey, it, it seems like you were discovering a lot of things. You know, you were you were um, a psychologist and you then but you were also writing poems and then that led to something else. So can you tell me about your journey and ultimately culminating into like what gives you meaning now and how you found that? Yeah. How long have we got? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think like maybe like a lot of creatives, I've tried a lot of things and some of it has stuck or some of it has been a phase. The thing that's gone on the longest is poetry Mm -hmm. Uh, since I was quite young I really fell under the spell of reading poetry then discovered I could write it and then got to the point of realizing okay but what am I going to actually you know how am I going to make my way in the world what will my career be and I got interested in hypnosis uh, when I finished my degree which was in English And I was very curious about the fact that when I I can write, I'm in a particular state of consciousness that's quite different to talking to you here or sitting at the desk answering an email or walking down the street or 
you know, chatting with a friend. And it's really, that has fascinated me. Actually, since I was a child, I remember it was drawing. I noticed if I was in the right mood, I could do a really good drawing. Mm -hmm. And if I wasn't, it wouldn't come out right. I called it a drawing mood. And so I got interested in hypnosis as a way of getting into the right kind of state of mind where the magic can start to happen. And I was told, well, if you want to learn hypnosis, then you, you either you become a stage hypnotist or you become a therapist, hypnotherapist. And I didn't want to do stage tricks, so I decided I would train as a hypnotherapist. Mm-hmm. That got me working with clients on, and I trained in other kinds of psychotherapy as well. And I ended up working with clients on all kinds of conditions from you know, simple stuff like stopping smoking or fear of spiders to, you know, alcoholism, um, um, major personality disorders and so on. And, uh, but among all my other clientele, I discovered that the clients that I made the strongest connection with and where there was the most energy and transformation they were all creatives of some kind. So an actor, but a professional actor with stage fright, who's in a big show in London mm-hmm. or a novelist who had, um, you know, was experiencing writer's block and there's a big advance on the line and reputation, you know, the, the whole publishing machinery was all lined up and they, they couldn't write the novel or film directors with the challenge of being a film director and so on. And I realized not only were these the most fun, most transformative, most interesting clients to work with, probably because I was a writer myself and I was on their wavelength. I thought, you know, most of these people, they don't you couldn't really say they've got a mental health problem other than what is an occupational hazard. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're a creator, then you've got to do a lot of what Seth Godin calls emotional labor. Mm -hmm. So I taught. Well, I mean, the way I put it is. If you're a creator, you've got to put your heart and soul into your work. So sometimes you need to work on the heart and the soul. And I thought, well, maybe I don't need to call this therapy. I'll call it coaching. And this was back in the 90s when, you know, coaching was really confined to sports as far as most people were concerned. So I guess I've spent quite a long time trying to explain to people what I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it went from there, really. I, I ended up doing coaching in business i mean i work with various types of clients some professional sports players uh, i know you have a an athletic background yes I um do. also worked in business in in quite large organizations doing training and executive coaching and that was great i learned a lot from doing that and to see how the skills i had as a as a therapist and a coach could be applied in a, a business setting but again, I got to the point where I realized I'm, I'm really not a corporate person. Mm-hmm. And so I need to focus back on the creative, the creative industries and, and really just take my specialism, I guess, which I had at that point and went back to college, did a master's, came across Seth Godin writing about blogging. This is about mm-hmm. 2005. And I realized, wow. I could because my previous business had been me in a phone mm-hmm. calling a lot of people up and I, I hustled and I got business, but it it wasn't 
a particularly enjoyable process, that part. But then I read Seth and he said, well, you can be writing and sharing your ideas and then people read it and then then they connect with you. And I thought, well, that sounds a lot more fun. So I started my first blog back in 2006. And that was the beginning of my adventures online, writing, networking, connecting, uh, working with business partners and later clients all over the world, writing books, doing e-learning. Yeah. And most recently, the last 18 months or so, I've had a podcast. So yes. I guess I'm not quite sure. I mean, maybe the theme here is just curiosity. One thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. But as I'm, you know, as you know yourself, you know, one of the nice things about being a creator is that there's always something new to explore. So at the moment, the podcast, as well as the poetry, is, is what I'm exploring. So I can go a number of ways with it, but I guess um, the one I'm most curious about right now is how how would you tell someone not to feel overwhelmed? Like I look at, I look at the world and there's so much beautiful art in it and there's so much I want to do. So in a sense, I uh, feel overwhelmed. And I know a lot of other people do of like, how do you start to tackle this? And um, what advice do you have? Um, You know, and it it could be both creatives, but it could also be people that are just, there's just so much to consume, you know, more and more. Yeah, it is. And it's exciting, isn't it? Let's face, let's be honest. It's, there is more media just at the drop of, you know, the touch of a button than probably I'd ever seen by the age of 16. Yeah. It's just, I don't know what it was like in the States, but when I was growing up, there were only like three channels on the TV. And it was black and white for a while, as I recall, in our home. Mm -hmm. So now what we've got, it is overwhelming. I think maybe it's harder if you grow up with more distractions to really discern what is truly important to you and and what isn't. One of the things I say a lot to clients is your body is your best coach. Mm -hmm. In your mind, you can get excited and distracted by this and that or the other, but there will be one thing or a few things that really resonate with you on a deep level. And you will feel that in your body. Mm-hmm. You know, we experience emotions as physical sensations. So it, and you can fool this, but it's very hard to fool this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're listening to the audio, I'm, I'm putting my hand on my chest. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, one of the things I think it's really important to do is to start being more aware of your body. One, so later on, as I said to you, I'll be doing Tai Chi later. Mm-hmm. And I, I practice that every day. I'm, I'm very new beginner, but it's a wonderful way of connecting up with my body and being in tune with that and therefore being in tune with my intuition and my emotions. And, you know, I've had my share of distractions, but I also know these days the feeling that I get from doing something that really satisfies me at a deep level. So I would say really learn to recognize that and observe it all the different things you do which ones really resonate with you at that Mm -hmm. deep level and obviously when you find that then make time make space do what it takes to to spend more energy on that than you do on the other stuff this is a recent revelation that i had because i'm I'm working on a novel myself Mm -hmm. and um i'm starting to akin for me at least the the 
the creative process almost like drinking, where at first it's fun, it's, you know, you're having a blast. <laughs> and then eventually you get to the hangover part, meaning right, that, right. Um, you know, I've been working on this novel for almost a year, a year and a half, which isn't necessarily the longest creative project I've ever done. But at a certain point, I'm just like, I just want to get this done. And yeah. I know I'm not there in terms of like, I can't just release the book as is. There's a lot of work left to be done. So how do you coach patients? And especially in, you know, modern society where so everyone is so impatient, I would think, overall. How do you kind of overcome that challenge and actually getting to the point of completion with a complete product rather than just saying I'm done with it? I think it's very important to give your work a place in your life. And so for me, my writing, for instance, that plays is in the mornings. And I have arranged my life, I've arranged my business so that I get my mornings free to write. Now, you may not be able to uh, give that much time to it, depending on your other circumstances, but you can at least find an hour a day, even a half an hour a day can make a huge difference <clears throat> so i'm also by the way i'm learning japanese on 30 minutes a day because that's the time i've got to do that it's a slow process but i'm getting there so and wherever it is make it you know it might be saturday afternoon it might be every other evening during the week but whatever it is make that time sacrosanct don't put anything else in that time fend the world off don't put doctor's appointments or dinner dates or, or, or whatever in that time. And also be very clear about when is your, what are the rules of what you're allowed to do and make it a game because it should be fun. It's creativity, right? Yeah. So my rules are I'm allowed to write. I'm allowed to listen to music. I'm allowed to drink coffee. I'm not allowed to do email. I'm not allowed to do research. I'm not allowed to do any kind of admin task or social media. And that really confronts me with the fact that I'm either writing or I'm not. I'm either keeping my promise to myself or I'm not. And the other little secret is I know it's much more rewarding to write than it is to do anything else mm -hmm. at that time. So I think if you've got, that space for your work you've got that habit and routine established that will do a lot of the heavy lifting in keeping you going through the difficult part because you know if i'm working on a book and i've you know done several of those and i know what it's like when you get to that feeling of for me it's like well i've learned what i wanted to learn by writing this book i've had my discovery <laughs> and now yeah. the last 25% is for the reader. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm really dotting the I's and crossing the T's and filling everything else out. And it can be a bit of a slog. But I know that every morning, that's my writing time. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, it, it almost doesn't matter what the project is, whether it's the beginning or the end. It, you know, nine o'clock is time to write. And so I've got that habit ingrained. I think another thing, if you can find a decent external deadline, I, I might, I, you know, there's a couple of times I've thought, well, I want my new book to be out before Christmas. Mm -hmm. Or the end of last year, I, I was slightly hoisted with my own petard because I said to my podcast listeners oh, in the summer, oh, yeah, season two of my podcast, which I, I do in seasons, will be out by the end of the year. 
And then I had a few technical difficulties, which meant I lost a few weeks. And it was actually quite stressful getting it out by the end of the year. But I did feel, well, you know, I'm a coach. I'm an agent of change. What is my word worth if I don't do it? You know, I can't turn up and say, hey, sorry, guys, I was a bit busy. And so that it did help me to to, to really push through and get it done. I don't always recommend doing that because you can end up you can end up doing something too quickly if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. And I do think one of the, I mean, we have this culture of shipping stuff very quickly and shipping crap, as I think is one of the phrases, and then you iterate. Well, that's yeah. fine, but it doesn't necessarily work for art. And I do think there's an argument for slowing down and taking the time to make it the best you can. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree. Um, Stephen Pressfield is one of your close friends. Uh, or at least certainly you've had him on the show a number of times and seems like you guys are very symbiotic. Um, yeah. Now he has this principle that uh, the fruits of your labor are not necessarily for you to enjoy. And I want to yeah. get your take on that because uh, I look at it now more than ever. If you also kind of tack it on to Kevin Kelly's 1000 true fan theory, it seems like you can have a pretty meaningful life and, and, see the change you're impacting on fans. Whereas in the old days, like there, there's so many, let's say writers that weren't honored until past their death. And so, the, so I want to essentially kind of ask you, do you believe that's true or can you really see the fruits of your labor? And should that be a aspiration? Well, I, I think the quote, and so Steve got that, I believe from the Bhagavad Gita, which is the ancient Hindu text which he based his first, Steve's first novel or his first successful novel, The Legend of Bhagavans. And that is where Krishna is instructing, so Krishna, the incarnation of God, is instructing Arjuna, in who's the hero, in how to live a good life. And he says, you are entitled to labor, but not the fruits of your labor. And I think I mean, I don't know Sanskrit, but from memory, I think the word entitled was quite significant Mm -hmm. because it's not saying you never get any fruits. But you can't work in the expectation of, well, if I put in this effort, I will get that back. Mm -hmm. Maybe you will. And we know this from creative work, right? I mean, you could write the novel. It could change your life. It could sell a million copies. Or it could be another stepping stone on the path to your evolution as a writer, and it maybe it will make a certain level of ripple. Maybe it, but the thing is, we can't predict that and we can't expect that. Otherwise, everyone would sit down and write a hit novel, which yeah. clearly isn't, isn't going to work. And even, even Hollywood can't figure out how to make hit movies. You know, they make 10, and uh, if one of them's a hit, that pays for all the others. Yeah. So I think what Steve's getting at there is, is something which is very important for creatives, which is if you're not, if you don't love the work itself, then go and do something else because the work has to be its own reward Mm because we can't rely on anything else. And also if you think about your experience, you're listening to this, whether you're a writer or a musician or a painter, I bet you do it because one day you had an experience of playing music or writing something or playing around with paints or acting with friends. And suddenly you found yourself in that magical space I was talking about earlier on. Mm -hmm. And you thought, wow, this is 
amazing. Can I get to do more of this? And actually, when I did my master's, the psychologists have, have proven that this is this kind of state that's doing it for love. They call it intrinsic motivation is very highly correlated with creativity. So if you are focused on the extrinsic motivations like money or fame or what the reviewers are going to say or what the New York Times book critic's verdict will be or whether I'm going to win an award, then that will actually kill your creativity. And this is a psychological fact, apparently. Mm -hmm. So the modern psychologists and the ancient Hindu sages are basically saying the same thing. So at that point, I think, OK, well, maybe we should listen to this. So, yeah, yeah. I, I do agree with with Steve. You bring up an interesting point. Um, and it seems like a lot of uh, the wisdom that we need in the world is already ancient wisdom. We're just kind of now in the 21st century getting past all the other things that kind of have gotten in the way. Would you say yeah. that's true or not true? Yeah, I think I mean, we can discover new things and certainly technologically we're very good at that and you know, there's there's a lot of insights come from psychology and neuroscience and so on. But but quite often it does come down to, oh, hang on, I've seen this before in some way, shape or form. There's a lovely line from the poet E. Cummings when he says, humanity, I love you, for you are forever discovering the secret of life and putting it in your back pocket and sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, also, so in that sense, like speaking of poetry, mm -hmm. let's say someone listening wanted to get into poetry. Um, what's an easy access point? Like, what do you recommend for them in order to fall in love with poetry? I would say either, well, probably both is, would be better. Get a, a good anthology. So let's see, have a look on the shelf. There's a really lovely anthology called The Zoo of the New, edited by Don Patterson and Nick Laird that I can see that's maybe quite European or British centric mm -hmm. um, if you're interested in contemporary American poetry then there is Stephen Burt has got an anthology let me see if I can see it by the way for those of you on uh, audio oh, sorry this is this no no worries translating audio is it I'll narrate <laughs> it uh, um, Mark has a wonderful bookshelf behind him of I can't read all the titles, but I imagine it's, a lot yeah, of it's poetry. Most, it's mostly poetry. It's Stephen Burt, and I think it's 60 American poems, contemporary American poems, and how to read them. And he is a, a critic who obviously really knows his stuff. 60 poems and a little essay giving a bit of background and context. I think that would be a nice way to get into it. Also, go to iTunes in the podcasts. There are some really lovely podcast there's the poetry foundation has got quite a few um that's the american poetry foundation they do a really great job they've got one that's linked to their magazine poetry every month and the editors talk about this is why we chose this poem and why we like it mm -hmm. um and then there's an also a, a one called let me see i think it's called the slowdown by Tracy K. Smith, I think her name is. She is the American Poet Laureate, and mm -hmm. she does a poem a day, and she reads it and talks about it, and it's a really nice show. So they would be good places to start. And the other thing I would say is, don't, you know, don't be intimidated. There's all kinds of poetry. Some of it will do it for you, and others won't. 
So don't, I mean, be open-minded, but don't worry that you have to understand everything or you have to like every kind of poem because it's a bit like music. I mean, you know, think of the arguments you have with friends about what's good and what isn't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But certainly we're very lucky that, particularly with podcasting, there's so much you can hear now because poetry was began as an oral art. It's only the last couple of thousand years that poets have been writing things down. So that's very new. Wow. I, I haven't considered that before. Um, kind of shifting gears in terms of your coaching, mm-hmm. what are, what, what are the common themes, if you will, uh, that, that creatives get stuck on? Um, is it, is it mainly like, I, I, I have this theory that it's more mental than it is technical, especially in today's day and age, because you can learn the technical. And in fact, I have this idea that it's not what you know, it's what you do when you don't know. And so I Ooh, feel like I a lot that. of, yeah, that's really good. And I feel like a lot of people, like if they're stuck, it's because they, you know, whether uh, sometimes it can be laziness, but oftentimes it's, they just can't see their way through the fog. Um, yeah. So I, yeah. What, what is the theme? Well, so from overall? a coaching perspective, Let's see. I think there's different ways of getting stuck at different stages of your career. So these days I generally work with experienced creatives. So they're mid to late career, high performers in either the arts or the creative industries. And certainly with this client group, what you say is very, very true. Because, you know, if I'm working with a film director who's made several movies, there's not much I can tell him about how to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm working with a musician who's been playing for 20 years, I can't, t- I, can't t- I can't read music, I can't play it, I can't tell her anything about that. But whoever it is and whatever their medium, I say to them, the biggest thing that we're going to work on is you. Because certainly at this point in your career, you are the biggest factor in all of this. You know, there, there's, all, there's a load of how-to information that you learn and technical, practical, skills-based stuff you learn early in your career. But at a certain point, it really is about how how much of yourself you're putting into the work, how, um, how brave you are, how bold you are, how um, willing you are to take yourself somewhere new, emotionally, intellectually, um, playfully. Mm-hmm. And so certainly in, in my work, I mean, that there are things that I will help clients with and stuff like presentation or communication skills or productivity or uh, managing or influencing and et cetera. But the main thing I say I'm there as is a feedback device. I'm like helping them develop their self-awareness, noticing where they get themselves stuck with their assumptions, with their habits, with their... Uh, emotional comfort zones and encouraging them to step out of that and go somewhere different. Mm-hmm. Do you think complacency is a killer of art? Like we, we sometimes fall into this pattern of, you know, things are going well. And, uh, and I, I don't necessarily know how to word the question, but you know, maybe you know where I'm going with it. Like, I don't know, give your perspective on complacency. And I mean, I guess, to say, I mean, complacency, not in the sense of that you're, you're not doing anything, but things seem to be going overall well, and then all of a sudden, one day, they're not, and you don't understand why. Does that make sense? So, I mean, what, yeah, I mean, are we, again, what stage are we talking about? Because 
if you're really successful, and it's it's kind of a nice problem to have if people say, oh, your 10th album wasn't quite as good as the ninth one, and it still went platinum. Mm-hmm. You know, that might be a nice problem. But it's quite different to feeling, well, I've, I'm doing fine at the level I'm at when actually you're – do you see what I mean? So, I mean, what – yeah, who's the creator um, in your mind's eye as you're thinking about this? Is it is it a beginner? Is it a mid career? Is it someone who is in the successful in the world's eyes? I think mid career because I think I, I think there there's that threshold where you know you're starting to finally get some traction and things like that, and um, it I, I just feel like there's a point in which you can take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit, and you're yeah. like, well, I did this so that I can let's say have a nice home, I can have a family, and so forth, and I've achieved that. And all of a sudden, you 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 know you, you start to say like you don't have the same um, mentality that you did when you had nothing to begin with. You know when you were sleeping on your friends' couches and writing by night and so forth. Yeah. Now you're like I don't, I don't that's not for me anymore. And I wonder how does that affect um, the creative process if it does. Well, it should affect it, shouldn't we? If if the ancient sages and the modern psychologists are are right if we're really just doing it in order in expectation of more of these fruits of the labor, mm-hmm. then it's probably does mean that the work is going to be affected. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's different ways you could go with this, but I would say, is it really a problem? And if well, yeah, so, so I, to whom? Yeah? I guess that's the question. Like, can you have, can, can you have success and still be, like essentially, do you have to be a starving artist in order for your art to be good, or can you have a happy life? Because well, I don't. Can know. You you can certainly get a balance. You you definitely don't need to be a starving artist to mm-hmm. to be good. I mean, there's there's we could reel off a list of really great artists who were really wealthy, and also others who were not. And it's it's what I would say though is look for the point of dissatisfaction because. Deep down, you will know if you are fulfilling your potential and if you're really satisfied with that. And not everybody wants to be working at a high level all the time. And that's fine if if you don't. I mean, you can. But I think with a real artist, there's always going to be that sense of dissatisfaction. The Even when the external feedback is really great, there will be a little part of them going, yeah, I know, but it could still have been X, Y and Z. Mm-hmm. And this is where the self-awareness thing comes in, because once you locate that and you realize, ah, that's what I'm missing, that's that's more powerful than any external promptings. I believe it was in season three um, where you talked about how like the fear of failure is kind of inherent and that's what helps propel you to become a success. Am I getting that correct? Um. It, it, I quite likely did say something about that. I think, yeah, I mean, with all of these motivators that you use, there can be a downside and an upside. But certainly the fact that you're never guaranteed success, I think, can certainly keep things exciting, can't it? <laughs> yes, it can. You know, the next time you sit down at the computer to write, you don't know what's going to happen. And that makes it exciting. It makes it fun and a little bit scary because it could go wrong. You can't. Yeah you can't coast as an artist so so yeah but i mean obviously you don't want to be so crippled by fear of failure that you never do anything yeah yeah 
Absolutely. So being that your um, podcast is called the 21st Century Creative, mm -hmm. uh, what are the most exciting parts of the 21st century for creatives? I think it's the flip side of the overwhelm is that there is so much available to us now that wasn't there even 10 or even five years ago. I mean, the fact that you and I can now have our own show, for instance, yes. and we get to have all the fun of putting that together and talking to people and, and learning and putting our words out into the world. Well, a few years ago, that you, you'd have to jump through so many hoops before yes. anyone would let you through into a, a studio with, let alone with worldwide distribution. And yet we kind of take that for granted now. And it's the same if you want to learn something. I mean, you Google it. There will be a course. There will be a teacher. There will be, there'll be a mentor. There will be books. There will be podcasts. And it's almost like, you know, being a kid in a sweet shop if, if you're a learnaholic like I am. I mean, I always want to be learning something new. And it's just terrific, the, the things that we can learn. Um, so, and then that whole opportunity to just to make something really well and refine it and get tools and feedback to make it, you know, far better than you could have a few years ago. And then the opportunity to get out there and reach people all over the world. And then magical things can happen. This is the yeah. external magic. You know, I realized when I launched my podcast that the best thing about it was I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, it's, I want to put the show out there. I want it to make a difference for people in terms of my business. It brings me coaching clients, which is great. Um, it probably helps me sell a few more books. I haven't done all the metrics on that, but probably I'm selling more books than I would be otherwise. But I think a lot of very interesting things are going to happen that I can't predict yet. Mm -hmm. It's like when I started a blog, I was really fixated on, well, will it help me sell my training workshops to studios in London? And it did. But then I realized, oh, I've got people reading this all over the world. Well, where's that going to go? Yeah. And the selling those workshops is probably the least interesting thing that happened as a result of starting that blog. I mean, it really was stepping through the looking glass and discovering a whole wide world out there and that that made things possible i could never have imagined you mm -hmm. know back in 2006 when i started it wow well uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you any final words for creatives as we wrap out um it could be anything you want to impart on them in fact you know what i'm gonna uh you can make this a part of it or not but you always mm -hmm. uh, at the end of your podcast have people throw out a challenge so if you'd oh, like right. you can throw out a challenge of your own Okay. Yes. Okay. Let's do that. So, all right. One of the big themes of my podcast and my book uh, that accompanies the podcast is there's no career ladder anymore. From few and fewer people have it, and certainly if you're creative, you don't have a career ladder. And there's no clear career progression for people like me and you and you listening to the show. So forget the career ladder and focus your efforts on creating assets, which will be 
will create more value and more opportunity for your career as time goes by. So what I mean by that is, first of all, make great work. If you've written 10 best-selling novels or you have a string of albums or you have a track record as an artist of any kind, people look at that and as well as any money that will generate, it brings opportunity. People want to work with you. People know your name. When you reach out and say, I want to do something, there'll be people that can help you with it. It could Other assets would be like a website or a mailing list or um, a podcast or a YouTube channel, some kind of platform that gives you access to other people's lives, to their attention, and that therefore can, can bring you more opportunity. Um, there's also the intellectual property in your work. There's your brand and so on and so on and so on. And all of these things tend to come from the work that we do that we don't have to do. Like nobody's forcing you to write that novel, I assume, Phil. Yeah, no, you're doing they are it because you, you want to write it. You know, yes. on any given day, there's nobody banging down the door saying, Phil, is, is the next chapter done? But it's born out of your commitment to yourself and to your writing. And when you've done that, then you will be author of, you know, for the rest of your life. You can say, well, I I wrote this book. And in 10, 20, 30 years time, you could still be earning royalties from that. It could still be bringing you readers and helping people come into your world. So my challenge would be, as well as everything else that you have to do this week, pick one asset that you want to start building. It could be an art project. It could be a book. It could be a website, a blog, podcast, whatever. But something that you're going to, and this is the fruits of labor thing, okay? Mm -hmm. Something, first of all, that you will absolutely love to create for its own sake, whether or not it brings you money and fame and opportunity. But also something that maybe with a, a slightly more strategic look at your career you think, well, if I do that, that could actually really help me in my career. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So I would say carve out some time this week for a bit of asset creation. And that's, that's what I love about your podcasts. Um, you have a you have that challenge, but it's not this nebulous challenge. It's a very direct challenge that people can do within a week. Yeah. And um, obviously, I imagine like you pick that very specifically because it is important to take that first step in the first week. Otherwise, they'll never do it, correct? Exactly, yeah. I mean, that's my kind of coaching habit if they don't do something. And also, I'm, I'm curious, well, is this someone who's going to take action this week? Mm-hmm. Because if if you are, then chances are you're going to take action the week after and the week after, and you can really build something great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it's been a pleasure. Um, I'll link every, uh, all your information um, in terms of the podcast, your website, your books, and so forth. Um, but it's been a pleasure having you and uh, Great. appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you, Phil. I've, in, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I hope it's been of interest to those of you listening. So thanks. Well, it's certainly been of interest to me. So and I think I can play the audience there again. And I think people will be very interested. Great. Thank you. All right. Take care. Big shout out to Mark for being part of this very special episode. I hope you learned as much as I did. There was so much that I, I'll be re-listening to this episode over and over to, because every time I do, I get new insights from the things that he talked about. 
So I'm really, really excited and also excited for what you took out of it, right? So by all means, please, I encourage you, write in the comment section what your takeaways were. And if there's any sort of questions that weren't perhaps fully answered or some, some ideas and so forth, who knows? Maybe if there's enough questions, I can convince Mark to do a, a, a second round of it you know, in the future. That would be fantastic. I know selfishly, I would love that. Also, if, um, if you just discovered this series, I encourage you to check out other episodes. At this point, I have nearly 40 episodes uh, to check out. And so sometimes I interview people. Other times it's me dictating lessons to you. Um, so I encourage you to check those out. Also, by all means, if you know someone that can benefit from this podcast, the number one way for this thing to grow and the number one way you can really help me is rating, commenting, um, and spreading the word to a friend. You know, there's any, any convenient way that uh, people can consume this. I've tried to make it as easy as possible. So would that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, it's on YouTube, it's on Facebook. So you get both just an audio format, you get a video format. So please do that for me, help spread the word. And also if, for, if you wanna go the extra mile, not saying you have to, but if it doesn't burn you financially in any sort of way, I do have a Patreon link, patreon.com slash philsvitek, where you can support this show. Uh, any contribution is truly appreciated, but again, only if it doesn't burn you financially in any sort of way. And lastly, if you happen to be a new host in the LA area or are a college student seeking an internship also in the LA area, I encourage you to check out AfterBuzz TV. It's my alma mater, if you will. I, I was there for the better part of a decade and it taught me so much and I saw hundreds of hosts learn uh, and grow and succeed. And also, you know, in the past few years, we've really uh, upped our internship program there. And I've seen a lot of great interns come out from there as well. So it's a great resource and I encourage you to check it out. I provide the contact page uh, link where you can submit yourself to AfterBuzz TV. Um, And yeah, so thank you for joining me. I'll see you next week with another one of my lessons for more updates on this series and also any creative projects I might be doing. You can follow at Phil Svitek or you can follow my producer at Bonjour Juliet. We'll see you next week with another one of my lessons. Bye.